Last week we were in the book of Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, Revival at the Watergate, and we saw some of the signs of revival, a great love for the Word of God in response to that Word. Today we go to Exodus chapter 32, and here's why we ought to pray for revival, the plea for revival. Exodus 32, verses 1 through 14. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mount, and the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, or, yeah, now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf. And have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation." Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham? Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Let's pray. Father, we examine this morning a I don't know, a shocking thing that not very long after you led your people out of Egypt, they began to worship a golden calf. And Father, your anger burned against them, saying that this is the God that, that brought them out of Egypt. Lord, I pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would so teach us, O oh God, uh, ways to, perhaps where we have put other things before you and, and need to be restored, need to be revived, need to be renewed. 
in our walk with you, Lord Jesus. I, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are at least three times in the book of Exodus where the people of Israel made quite an amazing claim before, the, before God. They said, whatever you want us to do, Lord, we will do. Exodus 19, verse 7, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Chapter 24, verse 3, Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the law and of the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice, same thing, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Chapter 24, verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. A promise like that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? As a parent, if your kid said that to you, All that you have said, we will do. What would you say? Hallelujah, wonderful, praise the Lord. And then we'd say, now wait a minute. Do you really mean that? Are you going to do everything I ask you to do? What more could God want from His people, right? They heard the words of God. They said, we'll be obedient. Whatever you ask, Lord, we will do. How long did it take before they had violated that claim? How long did it take before they disobeyed the law and started worshiping, of all things, a golden calf. They were impatient with Moses because he had been up on the mountain for many days. And they're wondering, what in the world's happened to this guy? He's the one that led us out of Egypt, and now he's gone. Now what are we going to do? We've got to have some God to lead us. And so they came to Aaron and said, Aaron, make us a God. We don't know what happened to Moses. And the sad thing is that Aaron listened. I mean, Aaron should have said, there is no way we are going to do that. We worship the true and living God. We're not going to make any idol. And sure enough, he says, get all your earrings and bring them to me. And he fashions them into this golden calf and says, here it is. Here's the God that led you out of Egypt. He had just made it. And now he's saying, here's the one that led you out of Egypt. What sense does that make? And obviously God, God was not pleased. And so Moses is up on the mountain and God says, you need to go down, Moses, and you need to see what your people are doing. You need to see that they have turned aside quickly, verse 8, from the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it. And they've said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And then in verse 9, God describes them with, Not the most complimentary word. He said, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. They are a stubborn people. And then God said, let me alone that my anger may burn against them 
that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. Let's just start over, Moses. I've had enough of these people. Let's just start over with you. But Moses, he loved these people, right? And he pleaded with God to spare his people. He pleaded that God would turn them back to him. They had sinned greatly. And they needed to be revived and restored. And Moses was the one that stood in the gap, right? He was the one that interceded. He was the mediator, the advocate that pleaded with God that God would bring revival to His people. So why do we plead for revival? Well, we plead for revival, first of all, because God has redeemed His people. It's interesting to notice what the Lord says about the people when they worship the golden calf. In verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Go down at once, and notice this, for your people, Moses, that you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. In other words, God is saying, these aren't my people, Moses, these are your people. Maybe uh, some of you have said that when your uh, son or daughter was disobedient. Maybe dad gets home and mom says what? This is your son. You deal with him, right? Well, that's kind of what we see here where God is saying to Moses, these are your people. You deal with them. You brought them out of Egypt. I've had enough. And Moses says what? Verse 11 Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people (laughs) whom you brought out of the land of Egypt? They had become so obstinate that neither Moses nor the Lord wanted to claim them. God says they're yours. Moses says, no, they're yours. They had become so, so obstinate. Now, Moses was very bold in what he said to the Lord. He reminded the Lord of the special relationship that he had with these people. Moses said, Lord, they belong to you. They are your people. And the reason why they were God's people is because he had redeemed them. He had brought them out of Egypt. And he was about to lead them into the promised land. It's interesting as you examine how different Uh, Men in Scripture uh, uh, prayed to God on behalf of the people of Israel. (laughs) They reminded the Lord over and over again, they're not my people, God, they're your people. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 10. He said, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Daniel chapter 9 verse 15, he says, Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So over and over we see that as as Nehemiah and, and Moses and Daniel and others were interceding before the people or for the people of Israel. They pointed to the fact, God, you have a special relationship with them. You have saved them. You have redeemed them. And even though they aren't acting like redeemed people, Lord, they're yours. Lord, you revive them. Lord, you restore them. I remember hearing a story about a young man who had wandered away from the Lord and wandered away from his family. And he wanted to come home, but he didn't know, is dad going to accept me? Is mom going to accept me? So he said, I'll be riding on the train. 
And the train went right by their house. And he said, if you want me to come home, he said, just put a white sheet on the clothesline in the backyard. And so the train was approaching that home as this young man was, was coming back and his, his heart started beating, wondering, <laughs> would, would they accept me? Would they want me back? And when he turned the corner and looked, the whole line was full of sheets. <laughs> Mom had stripped every bed and opened up every dresser and put every sheet in the house that she could find as if to say, you are still our son. Regardless of what you have done, we still love you. We want you to come home. We want you to be restored. That's the heart of our father, right? Moses said, they're your people, God. You've redeemed them. And that's why we pray for revival, why we pray for the people of God, because we've been bought with a price. And there are times when, in our lives when we don't live like people who have been bought by the Lord. We pray, God, would you revive your people? They belong to you. You've redeemed them. You paid the price for them. Bring them back, Lord. Revive them again. The second reason we plead for revival is because God has the power to restore His people. As Moses prays for the people of Israel, he calls upon the Lord to remember how they had experienced God's great power in the exodus from Egypt. Think of all that God had done for them. In verse 11, Moses says that He redeemed His people with great power and a mighty Hand, And that's a phrase that we see more than once in Scripture. God's great power and God's mighty hand. And I can't help but think of a, a farmer I knew, not too far from our hometown, little town of Tamarack, where our church had another congregation where we, we served. Walt Myla, Finlander guy, he had milked cows for 40 years and he had hands like like grabbing a catcher's mitt. I mean, it was so strong. And then he would, he would uh, shake your hand. He'd start to squeeze and he'd look at your eyes. And as soon as you started showing pain in your eyes, then he would let go and he'd smile. <laughs> he had a mighty hand. And God has a mightier hand. God had done some amazing things for the people of Israel. Think of all the plagues that came upon the Egyptians. The miraculous ways, turning water into blood and darkness over the land for what? Was it three days? And then making a distinction between the people of Israel and the people of Egypt. They had seen miracles of God's leading and who could forget the crossing of the Red Sea where the Egyptian army had, had backed up the people of Israel against the sea and they're crying out and saying, Oh, why did you bring us here? We could have, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? We could have died there. And I love what Moses says. You just stand still. Just see what God will do. And we know the end of the story. The water was parted. The Egyptian army was destroyed. <laughs> And, and God revealed His display of awesome power to His people. 
So Moses reminds him of that. He says, God, they're, they're your people. You redeemed them with great power and a mighty hand. Why does he remind God of his power? There may be several reasons why, but certainly one was to show God that, that he was confident in God's ability to restore this people, to revive this people. God had done great things for them before. He had miraculously worked in their lives before. As if Moses is saying, God, you can do it again. We, we've seen what you've done. We know your mighty hand, your great power. God, you've worked on our behalf before. Oh God, do it again. Do it again. If we look at what they had done in our text, we could rightfully say they didn't deserve this. God's blessing. After all, they had sinned against God. They deserved the opposite. They deserved justice. But notice that Moses isn't coming to God on the basis of justice, is he? We never ought to come to God on the basis of his justice. And in anybody who thinks that, oh God, you're not being fair with me, they don't understand what real justice is. We come to God on the basis of His mercy, seeking His gracious favor on behalf of people like us who, who don't deserve it. We never have and we never will deserve God's blessing. But by His grace, He has shown us his power before, and we come to Him because we need His power again and again, don't we? Revival ought to be a daily thing. Lord, do Your work in my life today, living in daily repentance and daily revival, daily renewal. God, help me as I face the challenges today, the battle today. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was converted in a Methodist church. And the church is, is visited by, they say, hundreds of people every year. And there was one day an old man was standing there, and evidently there's some kind of a plaque there that commemorates the, the conversion of General Booth. And the pastor came while he's standing there, and this man says, Can a man say his prayers here? And the pastor says, Of course a man can say his prayers here. And so he bowed and knelt with his head bowed and then he raised his hands toward heaven and he said, Oh God, do it again. <laughs> do it again. Is that your prayer? God, do it again. Some of you have been in times of revival. Some of you have seen a, a mighty movement of God. I can remember two times in my life uh, as a young, younger child and then as a college student where we saw uh, God moving in, in some wonderful ways. And I kind of got the impression that that's the way it would always be. <laughs> Sad to say, it's not always that way. But there are times when God sends just a, a wonderful moving of His Spirit. And if you've been in a time like that where you've seen God work in a wonderful way, it causes you to say, God, would you do it again? Would you do it in our day? God, do it again. Lord, You have the power to restore Your people. 
You have the power to revive your people. You have worked on their behalf in the past. You redeemed them and you brought them out with a mighty hand. God, send your mighty hand again. What would that look like in our city? What would that look like in our congregation? If God moved in such a marvelous, powerful, wonderful way that the people would have to say, there is something going on there. Oh God, do it again. That's Moses' prayer. Then thirdly, we plead for revival because God will receive the praise. When God does a great work, God gets the glory, right? When Moses asked the Lord to bring revival to the people of Israel, there there was nothing selfish in this prayer. He didn't pray that God would revive His people so that Moses would get the glory. I mean, he was the leader of the people. If Moses was concerned about his own glory, he would have said yes when God said, let's just wipe them out and start over with you. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Not the children of Abraham, but the children of Moses now. The Mosesites, right? Not the Israelites, the Mosesites. But he didn't. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? And so he says, God, turn your burning anger away. Don't don't bring this destruction upon your people. You see, Moses didn't want the people of Egypt to speak evil of the Lord. He wanted the people of Egypt to see God's glory. That was Moses' desire. That's why he wanted this restoration and revival to take place so that the glory would go to God. God, if you destroy your people, what are the nations going to say? You weren't strong enough to bring them to the promised land. You really couldn't keep the promise you made. Philip Ryken says God was testing Moses because God promised to make Moses into a great nation. The prophet would become the new patriarch, a second Abraham, the father of many nations. He says it was a tempting offer and thus a real test of Moses' character. After all, the Israelites deserved to be punished anyway. And who better to become the father of a new nation than Moses, the man who had been up on the mountain with God? So this was the test, he says. To save Israel, Moses had to turn down the opportunity to make a name for himself. Would he pray for his people or would he pursue his own ambitions? Given the choice between saving himself or serving himself And saving others, he put others first. This is the mark of a true man of God. He chooses God's greater glory over his own personal good. Do you get that? He chooses God's greater glory over his own personal good. So we pray for revival in our churches. And our motive ought to be for the glory of God. We want God to receive the praise. That's why Moses prayed. He said, Lord, I don't want you to wipe them out and start over with me. I want you to revive them 
And then the nations will see what you can do. What you have done already in which you can do again, God. You have the power to restore and to revive your people. A fourth reason we plead for revival is because God will keep His promises. As Moses offers his plea, notice how he points back to the promise that he gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Verse 13. He said, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. And all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. You see what Moses is doing? He's saying, Lord, I know that it's your desire to revive your people because it's consistent with your promise. You said, God, you swore by yourself that you were going to give them this land. You gave this promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I believe that you are going to keep your promise. Moses is on solid ground here, isn't he, in his prayer? Because he's actually quoting God. He's saying, God, this is what you said. Appealing to God on the basis of his own unbreakable promise. I'd say that's a good argument, right? When you come to God and say, God... I'm coming to you because this is what you said. I am standing on the promise of your word. I am praying in a way that is consistent with who you are and with what you have said. If we come to God praying in a way that's inconsistent with his word and inconsistent with his character, do we have any hopes of receiving an answer to that? Of course not. But when we come to God based on who he is and based on what he has said, We're standing on solid ground, right? Praying for revival, is that the plan of God? Is that His will? Is that His desire? Yeah. The salvation of souls, does God want people to be saved? (laughs) That's solid ground to stand on, right? God, you're not willing that any should perish. And so I pray for my neighbor that they'd come to Jesus. God, it's your desire that you be glorified through your church. So I pray that you would revive and renew us. That's solid ground upon which to pray. And that's how Moses prayed. And when he finished praying, the Lord answered, right? The Lord heard that prayer. One author says, what else could God do? Moses was appealing to him on the basis of his love, his plan, his glory, his mercy, and his faithfulness. And since this appeal was based on God's own character, Moses was not trying to talk God into something he didn't want to do. (laughs) Some of our prayers sometimes are talking God into something that he does not want to do. This was not. On the contrary, this author says, he was telling God exactly what he wanted to hear. And in the end, God did what He had intended to do from the beginning. He answered the prayer of the mediator, Moses, whom He had appointed by saving the people He had chosen. Listen to that again. He answered the prayer of the mediator whom He had appointed 
by saving the people he had chosen. Now, it's important for us, as we look at this text, that this doesn't just apply to Israel during the time of Moses. This text illustrates what God has done for us through another mediator, right? Who is that mediator? Jesus, right? Are we like the people of Israel? Have we sinned against God? Have we put other things before Him? Maybe not a golden calf, but have we put other things before Him? Yeah. And if we got what we deserved, what would it be for us? We'd be wiped out. We'd be destroyed. Just as He threatened to destroy the people of Israel. But God sent us His Son as our mediator, right? As God told Moses to go down from Mount Sinai... God told Jesus to go down from Mount Zion. And Jesus did. He came down to this world. He died on a cross for us. And He became that one and only mediator. He became that advocate, right? With the Father. That's how John describes it. First John chapter 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. I am saved today because Jesus is my mediator. Because Jesus is my advocate. I stand in His righteousness alone. I have no way that I can approach a holy God other than through the One who died for me, the One who makes intercession for me, the Mediator. I think of my dad often. He said, when Jesus died on the cross, He put one hand into the hand of sinful man and one hand into the hand of a holy God and brought us into a right relationship. And now, what does Scripture say? Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. We have a mediator, right? We have an advocate with the Father. So is Jesus your advocate? Is Jesus your mediator? Have you come to that place where you recognize that you are just like the people of Israel? You deserve to be destroyed, but Jesus took your place. If Jesus isn't your mediator mediator today, you need Him to be your mediator. You need Him. Desperately you need Him. No one else can represent you before the Father other than Jesus. And if Jesus is your advocate, if you can say today, He is my Savior, my Lord, my mediator, my advocate, then... You and I, are we have a mission to, to intercede on, on behalf of others, don't we? What is prayer? As we pray for others, we are interceding. We are coming before the Father on behalf 
of others. George Mueller. Remember him? You weren't alive then, of course, but from history. He lived from 1805 to 1898. A pastor, an orphanage director, who was known for his his prayer, right? He prayed uh, without making needs known. He just prayed things into that orphanage. And God supplied in marvelous ways. Marvelous ways. And yet for more than 40 years, he also prayed for the conversion of a friend and his son. Imagine that. 40 years. It wasn't until the day of George Mueller's funeral that his friend came to Jesus at the funeral. (laughs) And a week later, that man's son came to know the Lord. Forty years of intercession. It'd be easy to give up, wouldn't it? It'd be easy to say, well, I prayed for two weeks, nothing happened. I prayed for a month, prayed for a year. Prayed for a decade, 40 years. He was an intercessor. He was an advocate before the Father on behalf of these two men that needed Jesus. So that's the ministry that every believer is called to, to intercede. Because we have had someone who interceded for us, Jesus. And we have the privilege We have the responsibility to intercede on the behalf of others. Some of them don't know Jesus. And we pray for their salvation. Others need revival. They would claim to have a living relationship with Jesus, but they need to be revived. We are called to be those intercessors that would pray. That God would move In a mighty way. And we have reason to pray, right? God has redeemed. He's restored. He has the power to do that. He would be praised when when, when that happens, when lives are changed in that way. And we stand on on, on good ground. That's God's promise in, in His Word. So let's pray. Father, would You help us as we look around us and we see a world that is really in desperate need, in need of uh, the grace and mercy of Jesus, souls in need need of salvation, Uh, your people, Lord, in need of revival. Lord, would you do that work in us, begin in us, and may it spread, Lord, uh, across the land. Uh, Thank you that you are a great God, you are a powerful God, you are an awesome God. And you are able to do even beyond what we would ever ask or even imagine. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.